Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. Today, once again, we do a kind of catch-up episode where Stephen and I chat about our projects and also just whatever other topics uh, are of interest to us lately. So, um, Stephen, start us off. How have you been? I've been okay. I've had a couple of health little things, but nothing serious. I'm now back better. And the sun's shining in London, which makes a change. And uh, we're getting used to the idea that we're going to be locked down again. What about you? Well, some good news to report. So last week we had a very good geomob, in my opinion, even though we only had three speakers. One one speaker dropped out right at the last second, but we've been able to get him rescheduled for our January event, um, which is now on the website. So you, dear listeners, should go check it out and sign up. Anyway, enjoyed the event. We also have another event coming up November 17th is our next geomob, and it, it has by... By coincidence, it kind of has more of an Earth observation theme. All of the speakers are kind of um, around that topic, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, one of the guests is going to be Andrew from the Seen From Above podcast, which listeners may be familiar with, and if they're not, they should check it out. It's a it's a regular podcast all about everything to do with, with Earth's observation, satellites, aerial imagery, that type of thing. So give that a listen if you're not familiar with it. It's a cool podcast. Yeah. Otherwise, been working hard. Yeah, the lockdown is slowly but steadily appearing on the horizon, which which isn't great. One interesting thing of note, though, I guess from from the open cage side of things, is we you know we do our payments via Stripe, the payment processor, mm-hmm. and so people go to the website and they put a credit card in, and then Stripe bills the credit card for us, and they store the credit card, and we don't have to do any of that, and that's great. But they're doing something really cool. Actually, so so it's quite an innovative company in general, and they've really improved the payment process. But I don't know if you you know the stories of the founders. It's uh, two Irish brothers who are actually quite young, and they they went off to Silicon Valley and started Stripe. But they're they're real kind of technically curious and very interesting people to follow on Twitter. But they so so they've taken up the cause of climate change. You know, and they're like, how can we solve, how can we use technology to solve this? And so about a year ago, they are announced a program called Stripe Climate, where they're going to start giving serious funding to carbon capture technologies. So all kinds of startups and new technologies in this space with the idea of, you know, funding them enough so they can get to critical mass and, and the, the technology can improve. But now here's where it gets quite clever. They have introduced a program that we're we're in the beta for, we as an open cage, whereby we can choose to donate a percentage of our revenue to the, the to their climate fund. And we don't need to do anything. So it's just, you know, whenever someone, whenever they bill someone's credit card on our behalf, 1% of that revenue goes into their climate fund. And, you know, I can have confidence that it's going to kind of cutting edge technologies that were hopefully save the world for all of us. So that's a neat way of doing it, isn't it? I mean, it's a crowd. It's a sort of low-level crowdfunder. Yeah, you know, we've looked at this for a while actually, because we we kind of wanted to do something, and th- there are so many different things out there. You know, like you can plant the trees, or you can do the carbon offsetting when you when you take a flight or whatever. And then you never really know, like, is this really an efficient way to do it, or is the money being wasted? And and the, you also have some overhead of doing it, like you know, you know when. <laughs> And with this, there's no overhead at all. It just comes straight off the the fees 
And how do you know what they're spending money on? Well, they publicize it, of course, and and you can go to the website and check it out. And you know, I have I have confidence. These are very smart guys who have built one of the most successful technology companies of the last decade, and so they don't want to trash their brand by misleading people. No, exactly, exactly. No, no, I I, I have every confidence. It's 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 well intended. The question is, is it truly effective? I don't know, but they seem very like very driven by the science of actually how can we actually lock up the carbon. So I don't know. Yeah, there's one of the, one of the great joys of running your own business is you can, you spend can spend the money the way you want. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. Toby uses my son uses um, a browser. I think it's called Ecosia, but I'm not certain about that. And they claim that they make a a donation every time you use the browser. Oh, for every search or whatever. Yeah, they, for the they, search, yeah. I mean, I gotcha. don't know how it works, but I think the idea that you would do something seamless where you're not having to make an active decision seems to be a really good idea. You know, for you, you've got hundreds of customers, you know, and all that's happening is a tiny amount is being siphoned off. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was what really made us made us go for it. So one other bit of news at OpenCage that uh, actually we haven't even announced this yet on the blog, but we have had quite a quite a good year over the last year, and so we've we've decided to increase our commitment to the OpenStreetMap Foundation. So we we used to be bronze corporate members, and now we're moving up to silver. Yay! Yeah, I'm excited about that. It's cool. Obviously, our product depends heavily on OpenStreetMap, so so that's a primary motivator. But I have to say, I also think I don't follow it. I don't follow every little detail because otherwise, you could use up all your time. But it does feel like there's more momentum around the OpenStreetMap Foundation in the last year or so, and and more projects are going forward. You know, of course, always with heated discussion and and back and forth. But but it feels like things are happening. So, so I it's also, exciting. I'm sure someone will scream when I say this. I just get the impression that in the last year that Alan's been chair of the OpenStreetMap Foundation, it's like the grown-ups are in the room and they're doing sensible things in a sustainable manner. And the noise may be out there in the background, but it's just not deflecting them from getting on with doing some of the things that are needed doing. Which is really good, you know. Yeah, I think also the you know the community is now just so massive. I mean, literally worldwide, so many different people doing all kinds of different things. And, you know, it's not just, you know, 10 geeks at a pub in London anymore. You know, there. I think this week, the, the first application for a local chapter from a country in Africa, you know, was being debated on the uh, on the mailing list. So th- that's cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the more people that are getting still in the pub in London. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I like those guys and I like going to the pub in London and I hope I hope someday we're able to do it again. But it's cool that there are also other uh, yeah, it's other great. other it's things fantastic. taking the project forward. So and what about you with your projects? What um... I've been working on a, a small project to build a food map of Harringay. There's over 50 voluntary organizations providing food aid in one way or another to people who are in need of food aid and um, we didn't really have a very good map. Somebody had done a sterling job putting together a Google map, my map, but it wasn't it wasn't searchable and it, it had lots of limitations to it, just the inherent limitations in that my maps format. So um, 
I said, well, I know a bit about this. And I got involved in finding one of my friends. I won't say who at the moment because you can wait until we publish the map and then we can give them a little bit of well-deserved publicity. But one of my friends offered to build it. And so I had to sit down and do some requirements gathering, which I probably haven't done for 10 or 15 years. And when I did it, I probably wasn't the best at doing it. And uh, there were other people who should have done it. But so I started using classic user stories. You know, as a, as a member of the public, I want to find the nearest food bank to me that's open today so that I can get some food now, sort okay. of questions. Right? And it was really liberating. I mean, I, I can't, I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed this. You know, it was only about 20 user stories that I had to write to cover everything we needed to do 2025. Didn't take long, but it was really um, a liberating experience in terms of thinking about everything from the user's perspective. And in fact, you know, I've got the advantage that I volunteer at a food bank, so I understand the food bank's perspective as one of the users who's got a stake in this product. But it was a really great thing, and it just made me think about what a simple, powerful technique that is, and how probably lots of people listening to this could benefit by having a look at user stories again and checking that they're keeping them simple and doing them. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I've now got one of my clients on the consulting side who's re-envisaging a service that they provide. And I told her that the starting point for this was user stories, explain to her what they were, and she's gone off. And again, she's really enjoying thinking about her business's service from this user-centric perspective. And, you know, someone may well say, well, of course you should be doing that. It's obvious. But actually, you and I both know that when technical people get their hands on product, the user is often an afterthought. Yeah, it's not always as simple as you would hope. I mean, at, at OpenCage, we kind of grapple with the problem that our our users, I mean, because our, our product is an API, our mm -hmm. users are technical people. and it's not always easy to get into conversation with them. You know, a lot of users, they, like they don't want to, to talk with me. Literally, they don't want to talk with me. But even by email or whatever, there are exceptions. Obviously, some people overwhelm us with the exact list of the requirements. But but with others, it's very difficult to tease out what exactly they want. So anyway, congratulations on your, on your project. Sounds, sounds, sounds great. I mean, that, well, that's very I'll cool. back in a few weeks time. Yeah, please, please. You know, especially in these times of COVID, the lockdown every day, you know, seems the same. It's important to, I mean, A, this sounds like a worthwhile project under all circumstances, but it's, I think it's also important for, you know, people to have clear kind of projects that they can stick their teeth into. Otherwise, you risk every day just, you know. You can only one. read so many books. Though I am reading a great book about the history of calculus mm. for the mathematicians in our audience. I strongly recommend it. I'll put the details in the, in the link because uh, it really rocketed me back to my school and college years when I was learning calculus. And um, you sort of learn it by rote and know how to apply it, but you don't see it in a bigger picture. And this book did exactly that. So that was a fun thing to be reading at the moment. 
I, uh, I'm wondering. Sorry. Yeah, my lockdown is already, you know, is dreary enough, Stephen. I don't, I don't think I'm going to take you up on the calculus book, but, um, <laughs> but fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, okay. so what 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 else do we have to talk about here? I, I had one topic that I kind of wanted to get your perspective on because as as you're you know you're you're on the board of some companies and and doing yeah. consulting work for others and um so you kind of have a perspective kind of spanning across the industry and you know it, for us it, it's we're recording here kind of late October you know so it's natural time where people start thinking about okay what are the plans for the coming year for 2021 budget planning that type of thing you know so so now we're staring into this post covid future and i think until now everyone has kind of thought oh well you know this lockdown is kind of a temporary thing and let's see and it's just kind of a short term thing i got to get through and when everything gets back to normal but i think now we're starting to wake up and say maybe maybe there is there's never going to be a return to normal or, or maybe there's going to be a new normal that's going to be very different. So how do you see that in, in, in the companies that you're working with or in the projects you're working with? Well, on? the companies I'm working with are smaller companies. They're all smaller companies. And the ones that have been working remote for a long time, this was like, yep, get on with it. You know, I mean, it really didn't make a lot of difference. The ones who, and also, sorry, within that group, if you're delivering your services online to people, you know, it's you seem to carry on almost uninfluenced by COVID. What I think just as we start to do planning now for 2021, what's dawning is that the customers may well be affected, even if the geo-businesses aren't affected. Yeah, we're, so, we're definitely seeing that. Both, both in a positive way and in a negative way. I mean, we're definitely we're 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 seeing customers going out of business. You know, it's hard to say was that because of COVID or they were already kind of on a precarious position. I don't know. Likewise, though, we're also gaining some customers who basically one of the value propositions of our services is is highly affordable versus someone right. like let's say Google geocoding and they're yeah. kind of down they're downgrading from the expensive thing to us. So yeah, well, that's the upside for you, at least, you know, that yeah. there will be people who will look at you and that say, open cage is good enough. And it's a quarter of the price or whatever it is, which is, an, which is certainly a benefit. But I've got one client who delivers training services. And because of the nature of her, her business, they have to be face to face. And, you know, they've had to readjust massively to this, you know, and switching to e-training is not quite as simple for some organizations as it might be for a software trade. So I think it varies. What I do think is that there will be a new normal. And I think I said to you a while ago, if at the beginning of this or in the middle of the first phase of lockdown, we're all saying, oh, this working from home is good. You know, lots of people are going to do it. You know, Google announced that... Um, you could work from home for a year or something. But all the people I'm talking to now, and I'm not just talking about young people, I'm talking about people of my kind of age, are all desperate to get back into a social environment and be able to mix with other people and have those spontaneous conversations. So I think forecasts of the end of the office are somewhat premature. I think... Um, we're going to have to do things very differently. You know, people are going to sort of have 50% occupancy with people having alternate days and one day for cleaning or whatever. But I certainly don't think we're seeing the end of the office. Yeah, I think it will be 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. Clearly, it'll be different, though. It won't be. It won't be hundreds of people all commute in to jam themselves into an office building. You know, I think it'll be much more. And they're doing that every single day. It'll be much more. You know, you come in once a week or whatever for the meetings and the social interaction, and then for the actual doing of the work. You can do that remotely. I don't know. I don't know. It's quite it's quite weird. It feels like we're on the cusp of a new age, but we don't we don't really know what it is yet. And I also wonder about things like, you know, this week I attended a conference online, of course, about IoT and logistics. And it was a very interesting experience because the the format of the conference was such you could you could watch some talks. Or you could also use the software to request one-on-one meetings. So basically, I, I you know I watched one talk and it was it was terrible because it was basically just a sales pitch. So I turned that off and then I just did the one-on-one meetings. And there was no need to have the actual talks, which might have been the reason you have a conference, you know, previously to bring people in. And it just it got me thinking quite a bit about like maybe maybe this format is going to change completely and. And then also the meetings where they were kind of awkward because all of a sudden you're in a in a five minute call with someone that you've never seen before. So it's like, oh, well, should we make small talk like like you would if you were kind of in person, or you know, should we not because it's kind of we don't have that much time and it's kind of strictly regulated how long we're going to talk. I, you know, it, it's it, the social norms are going to be very different. I think. Yeah, but so. what we do know is that. Most people don't go to conferences for the talks. They may, they go for the networking and they fit a few talks around the networking. Yeah, I think it depends on, on which which conference, though. I, I guess, yeah. I don't know. I just think it will require totally different skills also as a, as a someone doing sales or, you know, mm-hmm. how, did, how do you do that networking will be very different in format. So. Yeah, and I think people are going to have to, um, there's going to be a lot of discovery there, but one of the things will be you'll need to be more concise and more direct. Probably. That, that's what I saw at the event I attended uh, yesterday. Definitely. If People, you've got five yeah. minutes with somebody, you've got to make enough of a connection in five minutes that they want to talk to you afterwards. That's exactly. got to be your yeah. sole objective in that five minutes is to make the connection that says, shall we follow this up afterwards? So not, not a particularly... Um, uniquely geo conversation i guess now now i realize but but yeah it, it was it was thought provoking it is in a way Ed, because the whole thing about conferences was that they brought people together in a common space and we needed that and we probably still need that to renew friendships make new contacts um, and all of that you know all of that networking stuff and that's a hell of a lot easier when you're standing in the line for coffee or for lunch and you get chatting to the person that you're standing with. You know, you've got no option but to chat to them because you've got to wait. So you chat you know, and you make great contacts. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what I that's what I worry about is like, you know, over the last year, it, it's easy to keep or not easy, but but with effort, you can keep your existing connections going. It's difficult to generate new connections. You know, or like with Geomob, every Geomob event in London, there would always be a few new people and, you know, some would would enjoy themselves and then they'd slowly over time become regulars and come back. And and now at our at our most recent events, it's we do get some new people. And actually, it's great because those are people who are coming from all over the world. There's no requirement that they're physically in one city, but it's harder, I think. Yeah. You know, it's but I saw when I was watching the video, I saw my friend Eric from... Um 
the hey Dutch guy was online yeah. asking a question. Um, he'd never come to a, a geomob in London, would he? No, I guess he wouldn't. So, so we still haven't worked out how to emulate the serendipity of proximity that you get when you're in a conference hall, or particularly when you're in the the coffee line or the lunch queue. Because um, I think those are the most valuable times of the whole day. Sure. Or when you see, like, you see someone they know and they introduce you to their new colleague or whatever, and yeah. through that, you kind of, you know, then all of a sudden you have a new connection, right? Whereas, you know, with with the online formats, like, do you want to talk with me at one thirty-five for five minutes while I try to sell you some geocoding? Yes or no? You know, <laughs> and it's... Um, you know, it's very transactional, not, hey, let's hang out. By the way, listener, if you do want to talk with me about buying some geocoding, happy to happy to do the five-minute call with you anytime you want. So Yeah, even he'll do a 10-minute um, call, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, because they're podcast listeners, I would do it. I would do a 10-minute call, yeah. Okay. So. so what else has been happening, Ed? I see that we've got the OSMF board elections coming up. Uh, that is coming up, although I think actually the deadline for registration has now passed. So right. if you're not, if you're not, I think you have to be a member, you know, in good standing with your, your dues paid or whatever, 60 days before the election. I may be wrong. It may, it may be even right. longer. It may be 90 days. But, but regardless, it's definitely passed. And so if you're not yet an OSMF member, it's you should still join, of course, but it's too late for this year. Although I don't know how many, you know, it's quite complex, the the whole way it works with, there aren't clear term limits. It's kind of like every every year, a certain number of people, the, the, the two oldest people on the board have to stand down or something or, or go up for election. It's quite weird. It's kind of a weird. Is this ageist or just? No, a... I mean, not oldest in terms of, of chronological age i mean who i in terms of have been <laughs> was, board members the longest yeah. so so the two the two board members I, I may be misrepresenting it so i don't want to get it wrong but but i remember thinking it's really quite weird i mean the whole idea is that you have continuity it's not that all the positions are up for election every single time and so a certain number of people stand for election and then you hopefully you know some new people come in but you also have some existing people who so that you have the continuity over the years you know the last couple of years it's kind of been it's starting to get a, a little more fiercely competitive i think mm, so so we'll thing. see yeah it is a good thing it is a good thing yeah. that it shows people are passionate about the project and you know so so let's see i think it i think it's in early december when the actual election is if i recall correctly and in parallel we've got the OSGO elections are going on at the same time. So um, they've just closed nominations for charter members. And charter members are OSGO's equivalent of foundation members. I see. Except uh, you but you, to, you have to be you have to be nominated. You can't just you know pay. You have to be nominated. You have to be nominated. But if you're nominated, unless one of the existing charter members vetoes you, it's automatic that you'll get. I see. You're nominated and seconded. You'll get on to the list of charter members. How many charter members are there? I mean, is this a small group or are there lots? 500 or so. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Huh. But then and any one of them can veto any other new Yeah, but you have to member. say why. You have to okay. say why. And it's not exactly a very communal thing to do to say, I'm going to veto Ed Freyfogel because he wrote some code and it wasn't very good. Yeah. 
mean, you really have, you know, you've got to think before you veto somebody, are they in some way contravening the ethics or principles on which the community operates? And if they don't, you know, just because you personally don't like them, that's not a reason to veto. And a veto can be overturned by the rest of the members, um, but it just forces, forces up. It's never happened. I don't think I've ever seen anyone be vetoed. And then OSGO have their board elections where you have to be a charter member to stand for the board. And their board elections will also be, guess, the end of November. I'm not sure exactly. I wonder, should we, for the OSMF elections, once it's clear who the candidates are, maybe we should do an episode where we, we give our opinion. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that's too contentious. To Frankly, with a lot of the people, it's difficult to even have an opinion because you know the community is so big now that you don't know everyone. You can do some research on like you know how much have they mapped and things like that. What, what, how did they contribute to the project? But We could do a hostings. This is one of those completely archaic British terms that I don't really know what that means. Like this means like the queen pulls a sword from the rock and knights someone and then that person is is now. No, she pulls a sword from the rock, slides it gently through your belly and then puts you on the barbecue. Gotcha. Um, no, Hustings, just an opportunity. We could invite the candidates and say, come and talk to us, right? Not give them a completely clear pitch, but once they've got their sort of their ideas out there of why they should be voted for, particularly some who we know and some who we don't know. I mean, we'd have to be open to all of them, but we could run a little hustings, give them each five minutes on the radio. Yeah, I I, I have seen that done. There's a a German, or there was a German OSM podcast, and they did something like this a couple years ago, where they they invited. I think they gave each candidate like two minutes to give a you know to the candidates recorded a statement. I don't think it was live questioning, and just because the logistics that are very hard, if the people are all over the world, you know. But um, we could do something like that, maybe. I mean, I know for, for OSMF, you know, there's a um, a wiki page where each person, you know, can A, can put their kind of position on issues, but then also people from the community can ask questions and then the candidates can answer the questions and yeah, things like that. Yeah, but it's very soulless, so, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's not, no, it's not soulless. I mean, but it, it it's interesting just to see how people do it. Uh, you know, some people write these long, long, long things and then other people are just like... You know, we should work on A, B, and C. You know, so that does give you actually some insight in, into the the mindset of the person. I guess it's just it, with OSMF, it's so hard. I mean, first of all, you know, the one one complaint that I think that is at least somewhat fair in terms of being leveled against OSMF is its formats like that are very beneficial for native English speakers. Mm-hmm. You know, versus versus someone who who perhaps is not as fluent or as well versed. So, but on the other hand, I don't know. I don't know how you alleviate that or how how you can address that. Really, short of having going full UN and having you know translators and things like that, which is obviously. Oh, you've just reminded me. This might be a nice little closer. I got a message. And it relates to this. Don't worry. It's not complete random shit. I got a message from Chris Osborne, who, for the benefit of any of our listeners who don't know, Chris was actually the guy who 
I think when he was working for you, Ed, back in the day, actually started Geomob. He was he was an intern at my company, yes, when he, right. when he started Geomob. So anyway, he messaged me a couple of weeks ago telling me that um, he's a, a new company. And the company that he's at is called Deeple, Okay. capital L for deep learning. If you search for them, you'll find them. It's yeah, a, they they do like their competitor to Google Translate, or uh, they have several different tools, but but it's got a real time translation. It's very cool. It's real time translation, but it is stellar quality. I mean, just spectacular. And all I'm saying is that's the kind of technology that could enable non English speakers to be a, to be articulate and for everyone to understand. I mean, you still need a language to work in, but the translation technology now is such that we should be only a couple of years away from that barrier being knocked down. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what you can do. Living in Spain, I mean, I, I use Google Translate almost all every single day. But on some ways, it was kind of annoying, actually, because it, it's so good and so usable that mm-hmm. it kind of becomes a crutch, you know, that you don't yeah. ever really, I mean, you know, have you seen that you literally just hold the camera up to a menu and it translates it, you know, in the same font and everything. And um, obviously it's not perfect, but it's all, it's always good enough to get the gist of things. I, I've had many, many conversations where it's literally me typing something into my phone and then it comes out in Spanish or Catalan and then I show it to the person and then they type something into the phone and it comes out in English and they show it to me. And, you know, that's all you have that it works. I mean, the, the, you're able to do transactions and stuff. So I think the Microsoft translator actually enables you will translate voice and translate hmm. it back out as voice as well. It's almost the Babel box type of thing. Yeah, that's amazing. It's got a much more limited set of languages than Google's got. You know, I mean, Google's got colossal number of languages, but you know, we should be in a position where you can plug yourself in to a translator and talk in real time and have it coming out the speakers in a different language. That's, I mean, that's absolutely science fiction. Amazing. All right, Stephen, on that note, let's, uh, I thought our conversation wasn't going to go that long, but we've, we've kind of rambled on here for a bit, so. Yeah. Well, that was a Star Trek moment. <laughs> All right. Good talking okay. to you, Stephen. Good to Stay you. well. Bye. You too. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.